one 9646 is the number of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Savannah, we get to uh, the beginning of every show with the week that was. So uh, let's do it. How was the week? Let's do it, John. Mm-hmm. It was a very, very busy week. Uh, and, and let's start off from uh, with with a question that was posted to one of our websites, free websites, mydisabilityquestions.com, where people just go on it. Uh, if, if they're uh, looking for answers about long-term disability, short-term disability, chances are your question has already been answered. So just go there and uh, just do a quick search or post your question, and I will answer it with literally within literally a few minutes of, of receiving the, uh, the question. So the uh, question that was posted, and this one is from Chris in Ottawa, uh, is interesting. And here's what it says. I'm a painter by hobby and on LTD with the federal government. My question is, a gallery has contacted me to sell my paintings on commission with them. What are the implications to my LTD? I'm currently 35 years old. Thank you. Uh, So thank you very much, Chris, for posting that question. What a unique situation. It's a very interesting situation, exactly. And I had to think about that. You know, what are your obligations vis-a-vis the insurance company if you are about to make some money, whether it's by uh, selling products in a a store or Mm -hmm. at home or, you know, in this case, paintings. And and so my analysis is this. First of all, remember that long-term disability claims are contractual claims, meaning that your long-term disability policy is the contract that defines the relationship between you and your insurance company. Consequently, we have to look at your uh, insurance policy. We actually have to examine the provisions. The majority of LTD policies that I have seen myself in the past uh, contain some uh, verbiage, a section or two, that deal with what happens if you earn some income or get some income while you're on LTD. And generally, the insurance company is entitled to a credit for whatever income you're able to earn, Uh, which is why, for example, if you let go from your job, uh, if you're on LTD and you get severance, that's considered income. And so, again, the insurance company can get a credit for that. Now, what do you do in this case with Chris, where he has done painting as a hobby, and now uh, his paintings are about to be sold? You know, that could be a gray area. And the reason is this. If he painted those paintings, for example, before he became disabled, well, then the question then becomes, you know, does that mean that he's now not disabled? In other words, is he able to earn income at this point? And can the insurance company take that money from those paintings that he had painted before his disability and get a credit for those? No, they shouldn't be able to. Well, so that's that's a good question. We have to look at the verbiage of the policy. And I'm sure James and I can debate this until the cows come home. Well, it's interesting, actually. I I see this come up also in um, the context of real estate agents. Um, and you know, a lot of people will just take a look at it and say, oh, well, they sold the house on June 13th, so obviously that's when all the work was done, but that's not so. Um, anybody who works in that field knows that there is a lot of groundwork that has to get done before you're able to make a sale or help make a purchase for that matter. And so if the bulk of the work had been done prior to the impairment, there's a strong argument that the bulk of the income was earned before then as well. Yeah. Which means, so the lesson here is that if you're in that situation where uh, the income that is potentially coming in now is derived from work that was done before past work work, before you were disabled and the insurance company is telling you that they want a credit for that they are and if they're not entitled to it under the insurance policy they may be breaching the contract the the policy Mm -hmm. which means that you may have a legal claim against them uh, which means that you should be contacting us and let us review your policy and talk to you about what has happened and tell you what your legal options are. So don't simply assume that the insurance company is entitled to get a credit, to get that money that you have now received for work that 
you have done before you were disabled. Okay, and yeah. a lot of people out there are in, you know, various kinds of circumstances, types of work, bef- you know, that, that they have done before uh, becoming disabled, and they just don't know that the insurance company, you know, when the insurance company sends you a letter saying, you know, we're going to get a credit for that, they think, okay, well, I guess that must be so. Don't assume that's the case. Right. You may have legal rights here that the insurance company is impeding on. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. What else you got going on? Um, I have. Uh, I had a lady call me this week right. um, from Ottawa. She's a listener of our show, and so she is a manager in a retail store. She had hip surgery, fibromyalgia, and she's got an LTD policy that decided not to pay her benefits, and she could not, for the life of her, understand why. Right. Her doctors are telling her you cannot go back to work, and it's pretty obvious to her and to her doctors there's no way she can do a job that requires her to be on her feet for most of the day and that's just common sense so how is it that this insurance company gets this information and somehow comes to the conclusion that she's perfectly able to return to her job it's really a misunderstanding about what the role is of the insurance company and the people who work for them Um, now I'm sure there's some fine people there but they have a job to do Their job is to make sure that their company is earning as much money as possible. And the way that they do that is by limiting the number of claims that they have. And the only way that they can do that is by going through each file and looking actively, aggressively for information that will allow them to cut off your claim. Even if the bulk of the the opinion um, from from the doctors say that you can't go back to work, if they find one thing that they think can support um, a denial of your benefits, that's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to do. It doesn't mean that it's fair. It doesn't mean that it's right. But that's what they're going to do. It's interesting, too, you know, how they'll, 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 they'll comb through, look for the final, oh, there it is, latch onto it and go. That's right? their job, John. Yeah. That's exactly sure. what their job is. Same I money. don't know what the compensation structure is for a lot of these adjusters, but I can tell you that a lot of them are just doing their, their job. Their job yeah. oftentimes is to find a way to deny a claim or yep. to cut off a claim. And I'm telling you this, not as somebody only who used to work for insurance companies, but by having spoken to quite a few adjusters off the record yeah. where, you know, they've told me stories and they've told me what happens yeah. at the office, you know, and, and, you know, that's just the reality. I mean, you, you know, you're seeing these Hollywood movies about these big, big bad insurance companies, you know, doing this and, and that bad thing. You know, a lot of times those those stories, those movies are grounded in, in fact or, or they're grounded in real true stories, right? right? So. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is a number to get a hold of Savan. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More of your stories. We'll get to some emails as well, and we'll talk about the injury calculator in just a bit after a short break. The Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio AM six forty. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. A number to get a hold of Savan and the team. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll talk about it shortly. But if you want to check it out as you uh, sit and listen, go to injurycalculator.ca. Find out what the pain and suffering portion of your claim. Should should be, as we'll, uh, we'll expand on that in just a bit. What else you got going on up there? Well, I have an interesting case that came to me uh, that I'm going to tell you a few of the facts here, and I'm going to tell you this is the first installment uh, of this story because it's ongoing currently. I haven't started a legal claim because I'm going to try and avoid that. I'm going to try uh, to have the insurance company and uh, my client's employer do the right thing. So here are the facts. I have a 59-year-old lady, very nice lady, who has very severe rheumatoid arthritis in her feet, both feet. Uh, She's had surgeries uh, on on her feet. In fact, she's scheduled for another surgery in a few months uh, on, uh, I believe it's it's her right uh, foot. We're talking about a very severe condition. 
Now, she's worked for the past, I believe, eight, eight and a half years as a cashier uh, at a uh, food store, um, a, a um, uh, grocery store, a prominent one. I'm not going to mention the name at this point. Now, as a cashier, full-time, you can only imagine somebody who has very uh, difficult conditions such as rheumatoid arthritis uh, requiring surgery, They, she's not able to stand on her feet. Yeah, tough gig. V- very tough. And she had received short-term disability from her employer. Okay, so the employer here, the grocery store, the chain, is the one paying the short-term disability. But they cut her off at some point. They did not pay her to the max 17 weeks that she's entitled to. And that is despite the fact that at this point in time, her family doctor, long-standing family doctor, has said that this lady, because of her issues and history with her feet and arthritis, is unable to stand. Uh, so, you know, she hasn't been paid the full shortened disability, and uh, she has applied for long-term disability with the insurance company, hasn't received a response yet. There is, for whatever reason, there are delays. Now, she has a surgeon, right? She has surgery that's mm-hmm. coming up. The surgeon had uh, filled out the application for disability, where in the section where it asks, um, when are you going to be going back to work, uh, he had clicked, uh, clicked. he had uh, um, marked indefinite. So her disability is marked as of an indefinite duration because we don't know what's going to happen with her feet. This lady has about $36 in her bank account. I spoke to her son several times. They are panicked. She's about to be evicted. So I sent a very long letter last week, well, very long, three-page letter outlining really why it is that it's inconceivable mm-hmm. to me that she was not paid her four, uh, uh, full shortened disability to the, ma- to the max of 17 weeks and, and that we require an answer from her LTD insurer immediately. And I gave them a deadline, and the deadline is fast approaching. And I told them that if, if they decide not to pay her, despite the fact that we have an abundance of medical opinions here, strong medical opinions from the family doctor, the surgeon, that she is entitled, uh, that she's owed disability because she's not able to work, we're going to start a legal claim. So I'm waiting for a response, okay? So that's the first installment. We're dealing with this very nice 59-year-old lady who is about to be evicted because she's not being paid her disability payments, uh, despite all of the medical documents. So, you know, we have these kinds of stories that come across our desk, James and I and the other people at our team at the office. Uh, it's not unusual, unfortunately. It's just not unusual. But let's see what happens here. I'm giving these companies the opportunity to do the right thing. If they don't, we are going to go full force ahead mm-hmm. and they are going to come to the table and they're going to pay. And they're going to pay more than what they would have to pay now if we have to take this all the way. James, what do you think about that? They may actually be on the hook for more than what they would otherwise be required to pay just under the contract. Because now they've been made aware of the impact of their you know, really ridiculous decision um, and that, you know, this poor lady may be evicted from her house. They know that their actions have very real consequences and that can that can lead to what's called extra contractual damages. Um, in other words, that means that they may have to pay money outside of what they're strictly uh, required to pay in the contract of insurance. one 9646 is the number. It is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Some of your emails coming up. Still got a couple minutes here before we break. Uh, give me some more details. Okay, so we had this gentleman who contacted us, and uh, he, he basically emailed me. He said he had an accident back in February of 2007, 
And let me read you the email uh, that he wrote. It's a fairly short email. He says, I'm 25 years old and I got into a car accident in late February 2017. 17, okay. 17, yeah. yeah. So it's this year, which is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, not good that he got into an accident, right. but good that the we're not... Good. We're, exactly. We're not yeah. beyond the, the two-year limitation period. Uh, and he was hit by an Ontario driver and he's an Ontario driver as well, etc. He says, I was diagnosed with my third concussion. So he had a history of concussions, okay? Poor guy, only 25 mm-hmm. years old. And he says, I have a lot of trouble concentrating. I have terrible memory and I can't focus on screens. I've been dealing with post-concussion syndrome for the last six months and we're not seeing an improvement. I've also been diagnosed because of the accident with moderate whiplash to my neck and hips and have also been diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety and depression. I'm a financial services manager at a car dealership, which means that most of my time at work is spent on computers. My neurologist and family doctor have said I won't be able to do my job again and I was set to make somewhere between $80,000 to $100,000 a year, which includes commission. Don't really know what my options are at this point. So the first thing that he did, which is really good, is contact us because yeah. now we're able to give him the information that he needs. Let me talk a bit generally about what happens in these kinds of cases, okay? If you are involved in a car accident in Ontario and you were not at fault, someone else was at fault, maybe you were a passenger and the driver in your car did something bad, uh, got off the road somehow, I don't know, made a mistake, maybe you were T-boned by another yeah. car, rear-ended, something yeah. happened, exactly, mm-hmm. and, and you're injured, uh, then you have uh, two potential claims, you may have more, but two primary claims. One claim deals with your own insurance company yep. for accident benefits, right? If you can't work, you're going to be getting income replacement benefits up to 400 bucks a week, potentially even more, depending if you have optional uh, insurance. Uh, but you may get other types of things, such as uh, um, you know expenses paid for medical and rehabilitation uh, treatments that you may require, that your doctor may refer you to. Yeah. But what about you know damages for pain and suffering? What about uh, future losses of income, such as this individual here? You know, concussion is a brain injury. It's a brain injury, right? And, and you know, we deal with brain injuries in in our office, and and. These these kinds of injuries, they have a long-term impact on individuals and their families. So you're looking at potential losses in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars. Yeah. It's very, very important uh, that when people are injured in these, these, uh, these kinds of accidents and suffer these kinds of injuries, that not only do they get the medical help that they need, that they contact us so that we can guide them through the system. The system which is a bit convoluted, where you require someone like ourselves to be able to tell you, here are what your legal options are, here are what your legal remedies are, and then you can make an intelligent decision as to whether or not you want to pursue your entitlements, you know, recover for your losses or not. one 9646 starts with a phone call. The email as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, which we'll bounce over to in just a minute. And we'll get into the injury calculator in detail as well. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. Anytime, get a hold of Savan and his team. Keep that number with you. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is email, which we will get to. I'll throw this one towards you, James. Chris writes in, says, my long-term disability uh, claim just ended after 24 months. My adjuster says that almost every claim ends after two years, but I have a friend that's been on it for six years, and I looked at my policy, and it says that I can continue after two years if I can't do any work. I don't understand why they cut me off. I'm 49. I've been struggling with PTSD after the death of my mother. Most days I can't get out of bed, let alone go back to work. I'm an electrical engineer. I don't know what to do. Okay. So most insurance policies will have what's called a change of definition at the two-year mark. So after two years of receiving benefits, 
your entitlement or your ability to um, get your benefits changes. For the first two years, you get your benefits as long as you can show that you can't go back to the job you were doing your own job. before. Exactly, yeah. your own job. It's the own occupation period. After the two-year mark, the test gets a little bit more difficult. You then have to show that you're not able to return to any job um, that you might be able to do um, in terms of your uh, training and experience. After the two-year mark, though, the test becomes whether or not you can return to any job that by education, training, or experience you might be qualified mm-hmm. to do. And so, yes, the, t- the test does get tougher after two years, but that doesn't mean that you're not entitled to um, to get your benefits. And so in Chris's case, um, he's saying he's got PTSD. Now, I, I'm not a doctor, um, but I can tell you I've had many clients that have had PTSD, and it is a very significant diagnosis. And I've not met anyone with PTSD um, that is going to be um, easily able to return to the workforce. Yep. It's uh, very difficult to deal with. Um, and so there's, you know, without knowing more details, I can't say with any certainty, but there's certainly going to be a basis to, you know, assert that he's not going to be able to return to any job, um, particularly given what Chris is telling us about how it's impacting him, that he most days can't get out of bed. I don't know too many people who are able to hold down a job if they can't get out of bed during the day. So so I'll ask you this question, uh, Savan, uh, and since we just based on off of James, are psychological illnesses, disabilities treated differently by insurance companies? Why and how do you get around that? You know what, John? I'm actually going to have James answer that since he was just speaking at a conference about this exact issue. So the the conference I was speaking at, um, I was talking about subjective mental health claims. Um, and um, yes, they are treated differently by insurance companies, but they shouldn't be. Up until quite recently, um, there was some confusion about how the law worked and whether or not um, the test for uh, claiming psychological um, injuries was treated differently by the courts than physical injuries. And even one of the courts of appeal out in British Columbia said that it was different, that for a, for a subjective mental health claim, you needed to have an expert testify and label that with a particular diagnosis. The Supreme Court of Canada just this summer heard the case and said, no, that's wrong. They are not different. You don't need different elements to prove those claims. If you can prove that you have suffered an injury, you don't need an expert to come to court and say that. In other words, if you have other evidence from family or friends um, that can support that you have suffered a significant impairment as a result of the accident, whether it's a subjective mental health claim or whether it's a physical injury, you're entitled to recover. You don't need a formal diagnosis and you don't need an expert. Now, it's better to have those. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, the, the long and the short of it is the court is saying very clearly that you're not to treat those two types of claims differently. That's what the takeaway is from that case. So to answer the question, yeah, they are treated differently right now, but that's going to change. That's going to change. It may take some time, um, and it may take um, lawyers um, to show the insurance companies that this case you know, has a real impact and they can't do it anymore, but that's going to change. Yeah, I mean, John, j- j- just to follow up on James's point, mm-hmm. one of the things that we do um, when we were presenting someone who is suffering from a psychological illness or injury, um, emotional, you know, anxiety, depression, things like that, oftentimes we will ask them if they can provide testimonials from friends, family, colleagues, work colleagues. Why? Why is that? Because, you know, think about it this way. If you're the insurance company, and you are getting a claim on your desk from our office that says that this individual is disabled from doing their job. As the insurance company, as an adjuster reviewing it, you are probably going to be suspicious. Yep. Unless you see that this person has been going to a psychiatrist or psychologist for the last 10 years or whatever it is. But 
what happens if throughout the course of the claims process, our office then produ- uh, our, sorry, our office then produces letters from friends and family and colleagues right. who all attest to the fact that you know they've known this person for X amount of years in the past and and up until now, and they've seen drastic changes. You know, if I'm the insurance company, and again, I was in the other side's shoes for a while, right? I, I defended insurance companies when I saw testimonials from friends, family, and colleagues. You know, it really made me, I would say, less skeptical about the claim because I'm thinking, why would these people, you know, uh, put out uh, uh, their neck, you know, stick out their neck for these injured individuals, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and and write those testimonials and, uh, you know, put their name down, their numbers that I can call them. I mean, clearly they are trying to tell me something, these lay witnesses. So, you know, we really do whatever we can to, to strengthen these types of claims uh, and get over the prejudices that many people out there have mm. about mental illness and psychological injuries and issues because a lot of people in society suffer from these and they can be just as disabling as a physical disability. Often more. Often more, yeah. yeah. 1-888-990-9646 is the number. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get back to your emails and more of your questions after a short break. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. 1-888-990-9646 is the number to keep on you to get a hold of Savan and his team. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is the email address. Got one here from Roger. says, uh, my wife has been on short-term disability for depression and then applied for long-term disability. She was denied because the insurer says that she's not disabled from doing her job, which is physical. She's a courier and drives a lot in her job. She has a psychologist who says that she's not well enough to go back yet. Is there anything we can do? Yes, Roger, absolutely. So first of all, you emailed us. That's the first step. Uh, I'd like to review any reports or um, letters that the, the psychologist, your wife's psychologist, wrote in support of her disability. And again, this is a misconception. A lot of insurance companies adjusters seems to think that because a person has a physical job, then who cares that they're depressed? Who cares that you know they have PTSD or you know anxiety or agoraphobia or whatever it is they have? Not understanding that these psychological conditions, symptoms that manifest themselves physically, yep. right? A person can't get out of bed, literally. They're pacing around the house. They're closed in. They can't eat. They can't do. How can they possibly be going out? and performing their job. The physical one, even. Exactly. And again, it's a misconception, and it's a prejudice that's out there. And again, insurance companies, they are learning. They, I'm telling you, just from conversations with a lot of adjusters off the record, they are learning that they can't simply say to an individual, oh, yeah, it's just a psychological issue. Your you body's be fine. Fu- your body's fine. Should yeah. be a- no, it's not. It, they go hand in hand. And, and, you know, especially when you're dealing with injuries, where you're dealing with chronic pain, whether there's an interplay between yeah. the psychological and, and the, the, the physical. So very, very important. If you are in that situation, give us a call, email us, let us tell you what you can do. And I'll tell you, oftentimes we will engage the adjusters directly. So in this case, Roger, I would probably contact your wife's psychologist and I would try and figure out if I can get a report that answers specific questions that I'm going to pose to that psychologist. Once I get those answers, I'll flip that over to the adjuster and I'll tell the adjuster, here you go. Here's the backup. Here's why your wife is unable to work. If they say no, if despite all of that, the adjuster still says no, we're going to deny the claim or cut off the disability payments, well, then we start a legal claim ASAP. Mm -hmm. Trust me, that insurance company, that adjuster, they're going to come to the table faster than you can blink. So this kind of this question kind of dovetails off the back of that. And so, do you need to wait for an actual diagnosis uh, from a doctor to qualify? What if you know the doctor verifies your symptoms, but they can't uh, they can't find out what's causing them? Absolutely not. 
Absolutely not. Um, this goes back to the case I was just talking yeah. about. Um, the Supreme Court of Canada could not have been clearer. You do not need a formal diagnosis. Sure, it's better to have one, both medically and legally. Medically, I mean, it helps you understand what's going on, and legally putting a label on it is helpful, but it's not a requirement at all. Um, the Supreme Court was very clear that if you can prove that you are suffering from the symptoms, subjective or objective, mm -hmm. if you have the symptoms, um, then that is sufficient, um, as long as you can prove that they're legitimate. That's it. And, and John, actually, you're probably not going to remember this, but about a year, year and a half ago or so, I actually mentioned on the show a case that I was handling uh, with a lady who was uh, suffering from debilitating symptoms. Uh, I mean, you're talking about severe cognitive impairments, memory loss. There was no injury per se, and she was seen by, I don't know, a thousand different doctors yeah. uh, at Sunnybrook and, and the, the major hospitals here. Talking about the top-notch experts in the field. No one could figure out what was going on, but no one questions her credibility. Right. Everyone said she's experiencing these things. Insurance company cut her off uh, because they said, well, there's no diagnosis. We start a legal claim, and I'm telling you, within five months of doing that, they came to the table and they paid close to the, well, it was a six-figure settlement, wow, no but it, it was close to the mid-six-figure settlement, wow. like a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, you're scratching your head, well, why did you cut her off in the first place if you only five months later you paid her so much money? Well, because oftentimes insurance companies are going to cut you off, deny your claim, and hope that you will go away, that you're not going to challenge them on those Play things. the odds. But some people know that their rights have been violated or they have an inkling of that, they're listening to the show and they will contact us. The worst thing you can do, as far as I'm concerned, is just just walk away from money that is rightfully owed to you by the insurance company. Before we take a, a quick break, give me some details on the injury calculator. Uh, that's a free online tool in the event that you have unfortunately been injured uh, in Ontario through no fault of your own. Maybe it's a car accident, a slip and fall, broke your ankle, got a concussion. You know, something happened to you, you were injured. Uh, and you want to know, does it make sense to start a legal claim for compensation? Uh, you know, oftentimes people would, would simply call a lawyer or, or try and Google it. You're going to get a lot of misinformation. Well, go to this online website. It's free. It will take you about 20 seconds to go through it. It's essentially a database of cases from mm -hmm. across Canada. And it will tell you, after you input some of the information, what kind of injury you suffered, it'll tell you how much money you can potentially be looking at for pain and suffering um, for, for your injury. And, and again, it doesn't deal with issues of who's at fault or not. It doesn't deal with income loss or other losses you may have suffered. It just deals with pain and suffering. It looks at other cases similar to yours, similar injuries from across the country, and gives you a range of what those cases have, have uh, um, shown that people are mm -hmm. owed for their pain and suffering. Injurycalculator.ca is what it is. The phone number one 990 We'll bounce back to your emails after a short break here on the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM640. one 990 is the number and the email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Get the one from chat. I'll throw this, uh, I guess, to you, James. says, uh, I've been on LTD for almost two years and was recently approved for CPP disability. I had open heart surgery and have various respiratory issues that make it impossible to go back to work. I'm 52, I was earning almost uh, 90K a year. I just got a letter from my LTD adjuster stating that my payments will stop November 30th because I'm not totally disabled from any occupation. Uh, what does that mean? My doctors have said that I can't go back to work. Okay, well, this, you know, first of all, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the show um, about the change in definition at the two-year mark, um, the own occupation to any occupation. So what the insurance company is telling you here, Chad, is that 
after two years, it's their view that you're able to do at least some job, even if not your old job. Um, but you know, don't let them convince you that that's the case. Listen to your doctors, of course. Um, never take the insurance company's word over your doctors. Um, you know, that's just common sense. Yep. You have to do what's right for you, not what's right for the insurance company. Um, and another, you know, another thing here that really catches my attention is that you were approved for CPP disability. The test for CPP disability is very similar to the any occupation test, not being able to do any job. Um, and so if the government has said that you're not able to return to the workforce um, and your insurance company isn't accepting that, um, you know, it suggests to me that there's a very valid basis to challenge them on that. Um, so, you know, I, I would say uh, give us a call right away and we will um, certainly work to uh, have your benefits reinstated beyond the two-year mark. So what happens if, I mean, saying based on what James says, say you, you can do another job, not your own occupation. You go through the filter and say, I was making 90K a year, but now I'm well enough to teach or do something else where I make 50. Do you make, does the insurance company make up that 40K or no? Well, it really depends on the contract. Um, right. Each policy is written differently and that's particularly true for the any occupation part right. of it. Generally speaking, the own occupation is pretty much the same across the board. Cool. The any occupation, sometimes it says if you're able to do a job that pays at least X percent of what you were making before. Sometimes it's 60, sometimes it's 70. It can vary. And sometimes they don't even put a number on it. They just say whether or not you can do any job. So really what you have to do is take a look at what the insurance policy says cool. and go from there. Something else that I want to say, and, and you know, we keep talking about uh, policies and how important those contracts are and that we have to look at the language. You know, we've talked about uh, the issue of the language of a policy in, on other shows. Uh, there's something that people out there are not aware of, and yeah. it's quite important. Sometimes when we look at the policy and we read a section of the policy, a phrase, a word, uh, a paragraph, we may read it a bit differently than the insurance company is reading it. We may read it a lot differently. Frankly. A lot, yeah. exactly. In fact, that's our job, to read it in a way that I would say is most favorable to the individual that's coming Absolutely. to us. There is a principle in law, without going into Latin here, uh, there's a principle in law that states that if there are uh, two or more reasonable interpretations of that provision, of that phrase, of that word, one of them that favors perhaps the insurance company, perhaps one that favors mm -hmm. our client, the law dictates that it is the interpretation that favors the individual, not the insurance company, that trumps. Nice. So why is that important? Because sometimes, oftentimes, you have these arguments over, well, what does the policy mean? Well, guess what? If we're having this argument, a legitimate argument, because we can have different interpretations, it means that your argument, meaning you as the individual, that will trump the other side. Again, there are different caveats to this point, but I, I, you know, I really weren't raised that because sometimes people who call me say, well, I called the adjuster and the adjuster pointed me to the provision where it says that they can deduct this income or right. they can do this or that. And I don't know, I, I see that, you know, it says something different to me. And then I review that provision and I agree with the individual. Okay. And again, very important to understand, insurance companies are gonna do whatever they can to cut you off, to deny your claim, because that's how they make money, by not paying it out. And oftentimes there are ways to force them to pay the money that is rightfully yours. But you can only do that if you have the legal backing. If you come to us and we give you those options, if we arm you with this information. 
I was hoping you were going to speak Latin there because you mentioned it, but contra preferentum. There you go, contra preferentum. Exactly. I can do Latin, Greek, whatever you want. Good. I mean, Next week we'll do the show in togas. It'll be fantastic. We'll uh, we'll take a short break, you guys. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. Email is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. And as Savannah mentioned earlier, injurycalculator.ca. Find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be. Very simple. The insurance and injury law show continues. Talk radio AM six forty. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. It is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. If you haven't used it, go to injurycalculator.ca as well. Uh, question for you guys. Insurers often say that they don't have enough medical documentation to support a claim for LTD. What does that exactly mean? How do you deal with it? How do you get around it? Well, you know, that's an excellent question. And there are really three scenarios that I can see insurance companies saying uh, that they don't have enough medical documentation. But And by the way, that's a very, very common oh, yeah. uh, reason for a denial. So the first one is, Perhaps it's true. Perhaps they just don't have it. I mean, I have people who call me who say, well, I was denied. And I ask them, what did you submit? And they say, well, little one nothing. Yeah, yeah, or a note, you know, on a napkin. <laughs> That's not enough, okay? You have to give insurance companies the paperwork mm-hmm. they need to make a decision, a proper decision, right? So that means getting a proper report. It doesn't have to be a 10-page report from your specialist, but it has to be something more substantive than this person is disabled. A little more media. It's not enough. That. Exactly. You got to have some information. So sometimes insurance companies correctly state they don't have enough documentation. We can rectify that. Second uh, is when there is a miscommunication and the insurance company uh, is, again, looking at the reports and perhaps are trying to even reach out to the doctors and they're not getting the information or the answers that they require. Again, we can step in. We can help with that. We can uh, communicate between the two of them. You know, oftentimes it's just a broken telephone. But I will tell you this, that the majority of people who contact me, when they show me that denial letter that says, we don't have enough medical documentation to support your claim for disability, and then I look at all of the reports that the individual has submitted, and they tell me how frustrated their doctors are at the fact that the insurance company is just ignoring their reports and their opinions, and I can tell you, I can understand the frustration. Uh, And again, adjusters, oftentimes they have a mandate. Insurance companies make money by denying claims. So those types of claims where you do have the medical backup, and I tell you that you have the medical backup, and the insurance company says, no, you don't have it, trust me that I am right. And if I tell you that based on the medical documents you've provided to me and you have submitted that you have a claim, let me do that for you. Let me start that legal claim because I am telling you now you are going to recover compensation. They are going to have to come to the table. They're going to have to admit. It may not be that same adjuster who ignored the medical documents in the first place. It'll be a different adjuster. But they will come around and they will pay you what you deserve under the policy. Email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to one from uh, from Nancy. says, my sister was cut off long-term disability three months ago and she appealed. I told her not to. But to call you, she just got rejected again. Big shock. She's asking what uh, what you can do that she didn't already do, whether there's a point trying again and again and again. <laughs> okay, well, l- let's start from the beginning here. Um, the first thing that you need to understand, Nancy, is that in Ontario, you have two years from the date that your claim has been denied in order to bring a legal action yep. to challenge the insurance company's decision. Two years. What you do after that denial doesn't change that time period. You can appeal it. You can appeal it twice. You can appeal it three times. doesn't change the two years. From the date you first get denied, that's all the time that you have. And so this appeal process, you're appealing to the same insurance company that's already told you they're not going to pay you your benefits. Um, This appeal process is there primarily to drag that time out and make you think 
that you have a fighting chance and that it's going to be okay and eventually they'll see the light. Guess what? They won't. They're not going to see the light. Um, All they're trying to do is drag it out beyond the two years so that you don't have any recourse at all. So what can you do or what can your sister do, Nancy? Give us a call. Give us a call. Um, Let us start a legal claim for your sister um, and we can challenge them directly. I mean, that's, I, I could not have said it any better. The only thing I will add is that once we start a legal claim against the insurance company, the difference between that and an appeal is that now uh, we've taken it out of the hands of the insurance company. Now the two years doesn't apply. No, no, exactly. I mean, right. we've now done what we had to do within Excellent. the two years. But the important thing is that now that we've started the legal claim, internally within the insurance company, the claim gets processed and goes to a different department. It goes to a defense lawyer. It goes to an insur- to, to an adjuster that deals with these kinds of claims. Their mandate is to resolve these claims. It's not to fight them out. So that means that they're going to be more open to resolution. Mm-hmm. They're going to be more open to coming to the table and resolving the claim. Okay, That's the difference. There's a lot of other differences, but that's really the main difference. Once we start a legal claim, Figuratively speaking, it's like putting a legal gun to their head. They have to deal with this. They can't just brush you off by denying another appeal. So, James, what you're, what you're saying is, back to your point, is so if once they've recognized your claim, they've denied your claim, so they've recognized it, and you appeal, you appeal. As you're doing that, the two-year clock is still ticking? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, no, no. that would be crushing for so many people. They would eventually say, oh, sorry, two-year limits, we've stalled you long enough, and you're done. Absolutely. That's insane. And it does happen. It, yeah. That's exactly what they're trying to do. It's exactly what they're trying to do. Well, it's not. It's not. And and it's a tactic and it's utilized. And again, remember, it's just one of the tactics that they use to wear you down and to extinguish your legal rights. Lots of good stuff here today, guys. Uh, you want to get a hold of uh, James or Savannah and the rest of the firm, it is one 990 That is the email. And as Savannah talked about earlier, injurycalculator.ca to find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM 640.